Welcome to Nix Media. We have already heard from me. I reviewed a piece by Nick O'Brien, a, a composer I found on Reddit, and his track uh, Sunshine and Lasers. And we are going to be hearing from Irving, uh, responding to hot takes from the internet. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll just uh, pull it, pull from the hat. Uh, so these are randomly taken. I haven't even seen the ones. Usually we pick uh, for each other. We'll each pick one, you know, and one for ourselves as well. So we'll have three hot takes. Since uh, Nathan's not here, I had my wife, producer wife, pull two for me. So I have not seen any of them, and I have no idea what they are. So here's two live reacting. <laughs> Let's see what comes up first. Oh, that's not it. That's the music from last time. Okay, here it is. So this one says... As a film lover, Citizen Kane was the most incredibly boring film I have ever seen and does not deserve the praise that it gets. Ooh, so I'll, I'll say something, you know, first before anyone calls me like, you know, uh, herd mentality or anything like that. I actually like with these like classic films, I don't really go into them expecting much. Um, I don't I don't have a particular affinity to really any era in film. I I think there are like little golden nuggets in every era practically i think maybe our current era is my least favorite um, but uh you know besides that though like I, i'm not very particular in that sense so it, this is not going to come from a place of it's classic therefore i must defend it but i will defend it because it's an amazing film so i don't know i mean if you don't like uh character studies i I think you would definitely not like this film, so I could understand that. Let's see. Let's read their reasoning. So they say, I think it's only famous for how much it, d it did for the film industry at the time. If you're considering watching it, you're not missing out on much. It is incredibly dull and basically nothing happens. If you enjoyed it, good for you. Yeah, so I disagree entirely because I also have this problem with films that are notorious, like meaning that they did something really great for film but you know it doesn't really hold with the test of time some of hitchcock feels a little bit like that uh the ones i didn't like as much and you know you can see okay great with like something like the birds clearly this is important for vfx and practical effects and what can be done and i mean it does a pretty good job for what it what it is capable of doing and this whole thing about sulfur photography that's really cool if you look look uh you know, look at how they were able to film the birds and isolate them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, cool stuff. But like in terms of the film itself, I feel like it fell flat and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not the kind of person who factors in the importance of it as much as I do really just how much does it, how much do I like it? Um, how good do I think it is independent of that? Right. <laughs> so yeah, so with with Citizen Kane, I disagree in the sense that I really don't think anything about this film is particularly, um, and I'm also not the most familiar with the history of the film, although I did watch Mank, which is about the history of the film, but that film was terrible. <laughs> that film is oh, not good, not good. Um, so I'm not sure how much I should rely on that knowledge. Um, but, you know... With this film, I think the I think I really love the character explorations. The most interesting thing, it very much so reminds me of a little bit uh, There Will Be Blood in the way that it explores the character, very much so not letting you in anywhere, you know, but more so communicating from outside the character, which I really like 
it makes you really focused on every line, every every piece of deliberate uh, delivery that you're that's coming across the screen, uh, particularly from Orson Welles, who smashes it out of the park. Absolutely phenomenal performance. And the photography is freaking gorgeous. I don't even know what to say about the photography other than, I mean, just, I don't know if you're a film fan or not, but if you are, go back and just look at some of the frames and what implied meanings there are in motion, in set work, in transition, in like every aspect. This is the exact kind of cinematography that I fall in love with, which is, Everything is everything about the 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 picture is telling a story, you know, on their own in some ways, but also in conjunction with each other, creating this very beautiful picture. You know, even as simple as this one thing that sticks in my mind is uh, the scene. It's one of the climactic scenes, so I won't really talk about the exact details. But uh, the camera pans over, uh, following the character, and you you think it's just doing. Uh, you know, tracking, right? Like you think it's just uh, following the action and it looks like that because it's been following this character and we've been holding on the shot for a while. And then the, the actress, this is good blocking as well. Good directing. Um, the actress takes a little step back further than you normally would get. And we pan a little bit farther. And then there's this on the lower left side of the screen at that moment with the, where the script needed that kind of image, there's a doll. It's perfect. So uh, I won't explain the meaning of that, but that kind of filmmaking is stuff that I really love. So I kind of disagree. And I don't think that's because I expected it to be, you know, something, you know, incredible. I think it's deservedly well-loved. I wouldn't put it in my top. I wouldn't put it in my top uh, three probably, but, you know, for me personally, but I can see how people could definitely. So disagree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I certainly when I watched it, I didn't watch it with you know an eye for all all those details like you did because I don't, I can't do that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I really enjoy it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's boring at all. You no. like, you know, personally, I mean, I, I'm I was quite interested in in the development of of the main character. And figuring out, you know, I mean, also just like on a, on a really basic, you know, level, my you know, non non filmmaker appreciation, but like the the way it opens is what creates this interest, right? Like mm-hmm. you kind of you're at the end already at the beginning, and then you want to see mm-hmm. how you get from the the basically the end of the story, how you get to the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's this like little like, it's just it just I think it's a great exercise in writing and directing and cinematography, just everything coming together to make this really beautiful thing. One thing also I, I forgot to mention about it is the writing. I've been talking about writing a lot, but the structure is very much so whatever it needed to be for the story. So the 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 structure is made for the story instead of the story made for the structure, right? Which is a big mistake a lot of people make, especially in today's cinema. It's very obnoxious. Um, you can feel the story being crammed into a structure, right? But in this case, the structure arises from the story instead. Whatever, however many acts the story needed was however many acts. I don't remember. I didn't like, you know, watch it like going, ah. End of act, you know. So I don't remember how many acts, but I have a feeling there are a lot of acts in uh, in this film. Like maybe 
upwards of seven or something like that. Or, uh, so, you know, it might be, it might be something like that if I went back and looked at it, but just the back and forth and uh, I won't bore you. Maybe I'll make a whole episode about it because I watched it rather recently. So I'll make an episode about uh, Citizen Kane and what I loved about it. I'll probably buy it on Blu-ray. I watched it in the cinema, which was great asterisk audio system was freaking out, but whatever. <laughs> so yeah, next take here. Let's see what we've got. So I think this one's from Ben. Can't read it right now, but Ben, do you want to give me an overview? Yeah, so actually, this is from a thread saying, uh, asking for people to list their, you know, what are, what are the most Oscar bait films out there? And there are some, you know, interesting takes all around. I think the consensus is this movie, I don't even know, called Crash. It's like the biggest Oscar bait film of all time. <laughs> Again, I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. Apparently it's from 2005. I don't know. But I thought this was a, an interesting take. So this person says, Every Best Picture winner from the 80s besides Platoon was Oscar bait that worked. Amadeus is a masterpiece, but still sort of falls into Oscar bait. Terms of Endearment is bait that isn't too pretentious. Everything else is an oof. In particular, Ordinary People and Out of Africa. Redford just swinging through the fences in those. Driving Miss Daisy is straight, make old white people feel good trash. I'll throw Sophie's choice in with these. It didn't win Best Picture, but I think it's quite similar, and it's sort of embarrassingly naked in its attempt to seem profound. Basically ah. indicting uh, all of the Best Picture Oscars films from the 80s. I can yeah. speak to none of them. <laughs> never seen any of these films so yeah i i mean i don't i don't uh, i don't care about the academy enough to remember like what won and when and exactly but i i know what this person's talking about and i agree with it mostly i would think i th i think well mm, i agree with it asterisk you know i think the biggest thing is that not the whole cadre tends to be like that you know every year uh there might be like one or two that are a little bit different do they tend to win? No. <laughs> I think I covered this in the Oscars episode that we did uh, a long time ago for the, for the last Oscars. Um, if you go check that out, I think I read from a an article that describes the exact parameters that are required if you want to be the most perfect Oscar bait movie, and it's extremely accurate. Like, I mean, you could you could basically formulate, you know, many films around. Uh, around uh you know just following the the structure and then hopefully executing it very well <laughs> right of course you're going to need that part but yes i think that's very upsetting because it's kind of boring like you know there's there, there, the types of films that you tend to get tend to be films that don't necessarily resonate with people who are outside of the academy um part i'm going to use mank as the example like that's a that's an academy film. Like I will see there's a lot of people mentioning Mank as well in the thread. You couldn't get a more Oscar bait movie than Mank, right? It's got everything. It's got the story of its creation, like how Mank came to be, which is David Fincher. This was his passion project for so long. He's had the script forever and he finally got So what was I saying? So yeah, so Mank, you know, it has the story of its creation that's like Oh my gosh, like, you know, David Fincher spent his I respect that by the way. I actually really like David Fincher's work. 
I think this work is particularly terrible, though. So, and it has the uh, sort of pretentious air around it uh, in the, that really isn't in a lot of other, actually isn't in at all in any other David Fincher film, which is kind of bizarre when I was watching it. It just didn't feel like him. Didn't feel gritty and down to earth like he he uh, he usually does. And so you know, there's that. Uh, and then, you know, there's the fact that there's like a name, you know, actors in there with big names. So it's Gary Oldman and he's been around Hollywood forever and everyone wants to give him an Oscar, you know, that kind of thing. And Gary Oldman did a good job for what he was given. So, yeah, I mean, he did a really great job, I would say, for what he was given. I don't think the film was bad because of him whatsoever. And so it has all the ingredients. Oh, it's got the what did I forget? The political uh, overtones that were just so heavy handed that it made me feel like I was watching like a Twitter representation of reality unfold before me on the screen, which I was just like, Oh, I was really relieved to find that every other Oscar film wasn't like that. I was scared. That was the first Oscar film I watched from last year. I was really scared that every film was going to be like that. And I was like, Oh Lord, help me through these, uh, you know, oversimplifications of life happening from people who are clearly out of touch with it. Um, So, you know, that kind of appeals with appeals to the Academy. So yeah, uh, if you're out there Academy watching this and I'm up for an Oscar in the future, just ignore everything I said and give me the Oscar anyway. So, <laughs> there you go. I don't think that'll happen, but... So yeah, I agree with it somewhat. I think it's kind of boring. Like Moonlight, yeah, that's... It. I don't think Moonlight was created like that. I wouldn't say that, but I would say that it fits the mold extraordinarily well. Um, it lacks a few things in the list, if I can remember the list. Uh, Black Mass, I have not seen. So yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, I I would agree with this take. Next one here. So this one says, (laughs) of course, uh, of course, producer wife would pick this one. I'll tell you the backstory, but it says sometimes watching a film or reading a book after a spoiler makes it better. The reason this is here is because this is what Steph says sometimes and it drives me insane. So she probably wants to hear me rant a little bit. Um, I think per art form, it matters, right? So, like, it matters in the art form where the spoilers matter. I've thought about this way too much, by the way. I'll probably do a mixed media on it, so I won't go on too long. Uh, But whether it matters depends on the art form. Film is sequential, okay? You literally line up frames one after another for sequence purposes. When you edit something, you edit it in the order that you want information and other things to be exposed to the audience, I think it's a little bit, you know, uh, whatever. I'll, I'll just be all out with my opinion. I think it's somewhat disrespectful <laughs> if you are, uh, you know, sort of, unless you don't intend on watching something or you don't really care about it, you know, I'll read stuff if I don't think I'll ever watch it or something like that. But in terms of like, if you want to go into the film, watching it as intended, it's films are built around sequence right (laughs) so if you're watching it as intended you won't spoil yourself right so you're not watching you end up not watching the film as it was intended to be watched and so you'll never get that experience back right you only get that the first time you watch it it's kind of it's an interesting thing you know and then there's like the rewatchability and all the you know but like the first time you watch a film that's the native format of the film First time in a theater is the native format of the film. And I promise you, I'm not weird about that. That directors definitely feel that way. 
um, almost guaranteed. I would say maybe there's some genre things that might also play into there. Like, you know, if it's like a campy, uh, you know, I'm thinking, I don't know why scary movie comes into my, into my head, but scary movie, does it really matter as much? I don't know. I would still say I, I would not want to know anything about it, you know, in terms of important details, but yeah. What's your opinion, Ben, on this one? I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure I've, I, I can't really think of a time where I've had something like spoiled for me that, and that and then I've gone on to see it. And I certainly, I'm not sure it would make it better, but like there are some things that are un, unavoidable. Like you can, it'd be very hard today unless you're like a kid who's never seen any, you know, Star Wars film and, and you know, your, your parents have sheltered you from, from, well, you know, the big, surprise and in, in, in empire strikes back which for the sake of us i won't say what it is but i mean obviously <laughs> everyone listening knows right right i mean so you can't avoid it right and that yeah. in that case i mean it's probably not better but like it's unavoidable so you know other things like well i certainly know what's going to happen in certain like sometimes you can figure out what's going to happen without even having to have seen it I mean, mm-hmm. you could you could get you, you know. And to be fair, I have not seen. I'm not really. I'm not. I'm, I haven't seen many Marvel films. I've seen like five or six of them, maybe. Yeah, I think five. But like, just knowing a few details about how things go, I mean, like, I could give you. I could have given you a reasonable guess about who was going to die in, you know, an End Game or whatever. And do I cer- certainly? I know now, like. Well, I, you know, would, would that if, if I ever choose to watch that, would that like kill the film for me? Probably not. But would it make it better? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. In terms of like what you're responsible for, in terms of uh, avoiding information, that's a different thing. I think you know, if I mean, like you said, like there's certain things you just can't avoid. It's more like, are you going to purposely like go and read the synopsis on Wikipedia or something like that? Like that, I think is like somewhat disrespectful, <laughs> unless you don't intend on watching it or you really don't care about it, right? And which I think is a strong statement. You know, if you were to imagine yourself saying that, I'm not saying that you have this responsibility to any of the filmmakers or anything like that. I'm not trying to be weird about it, but like, you know, imagine you saying uh, to a filmmaker, "Eh, I'll just read the synopsis and maybe I'll <laughs> like." It's just, it's like, you know, the person will likely say to you. That's not how <laughs> that's not how this works, you know. Yeah, that that's my opinion. But yeah, I'll, I'll probably rant about it in some long mixed media episode or something, and give you ten reasons why you should never do this, and then you know, then you can uh, then you can feel bad about your life. <laughs> Just kidding. Cool. And we have one last one because we have a short episode today since it's only the two of us. This one is let's see. Quentin Tarantino films aren't that good. Ooh, that's a hot take. That's definitely a hot take. I don't think Tarantino movies are as good as people say. The plot is usually nonsensical and the climax is disappointing or wildly unrealistic. <laughs> uh, his feel for good, his feel good vision for history is misinformation and leads to poor understanding of the real events and their consequences to the world. Also, they're too gory, but I understand that's not unpopular to most people this somehow 12 days ago got 286 likes which i think is perplexing and 74 percent uploaded i would love to know what subreddit this came from for to get that good of a ratio which uh, you know kind of surprises me 
Quentin Tarantino is one of those directors that doesn't have a very high latitude for filmmakers who like him. So like a lot of what I'm saying is a lot of different kinds of filmmakers like Tarantino. And the reason is, is that he's extremely accessible in a lot of different ways, both to the audience and to like film lovers and to filmmakers. He's got this very unique style and genre that is very hard to replicate. I've seen a lot of people try and usually it just feels like a replication of Tarantino. And so I love Tarantino films. I think they are underratedly gorgeous. Like, I think that's one of the most underrated parts of Tarantino because people are so focused on the witty dialogue and the funny scenes and like the crazy gore and all that kind of stuff. When the, but like the visuals are always ridiculously uh, beautiful. So shout out to his DP and all that kind of stuff too. Uh, so yeah, I'll take this apart one by one. So the, the fact that they're unrealistic is kind of bizarre uh, of a thing to say. This is cinema. Welcome to cinema. Things are unrealistic very often. <laughs> you know, when you tell stories, they don't have to be real stories. Uh, I can tell you that even the stories that you think are realistic are not probably realistic in the, you know, perfect sense. I mean, you could even take a film like Saving Private Ryan, which is, you know, has high historical accuracy and is a historical fiction. And you could probably tear it to pieces if you wanted to, a la Cinema Sins, you know, which... I, I think is a tragedy when people do that kind of stuff to films and say, look, it's not, well, stories and art in general are supposed to be art in general, right? You have to interpret in its context or what it's supposed to be doing for you, right? You don't want to go in and read a textbook thinking it's going to be an adventure fiction, right? You're never going to like the textbook, right? That's a weird example. I don't know why that came to my mind. But if you come to Tarantino expecting like a hyper realistic or a somewhat, you know, realistic film, that's this is definitely not the director for you. It's very over the top. He literally has a movie called Pulp Fiction, and you could just interpret everything he makes after that or before everything he's ever made as a type of pulp fiction, because that's really what it is. So, yeah, so I disagree with that. And then he says... This person says uh, his feel-good version of history is misinformation and leads a poor understanding of the real offense. Okay, well, if you're looking at Tarantino for a proper historical understanding of history, I think you're going to the wrong place. I wouldn't really suggest that if you're going to try to learn historical facts that you watch films at all. Maybe even, I mean, even I, I can even think of examples that people give as like, oh, look at this thing that's from this era that's a story you know, you, I mean, it's still not the best way if you want like the pure factual firsthand evidence sort of understanding of what's going on. Tarantino likes history a lot, obviously. He's particularly obsessed with the uh, history of Hollywood. And so, you know, if you're not into that, if you think it's he looks at everything with rosy eyes, I think he does too. But I think it's a purposeful uh, cartoonish romanticism. It's not like a, you know, <laughs> it's not like he's saying, Everything was great. I mean, okay, take Django Unchained. This is a perfect example. Literally in the time of slavery, right? You know, I think it might still have the record for the most N-words in a film, right? So pretty extreme case here that we're talking about. Definitely makes light of the era. Definitely does. And I think that the difference, the difference between what he's doing there and someone who's actually being disrespectful or actually misinforming you is he's not asking you to accept what's happening in that film as historically accurate. 
he's ex- he's asking you to accept it as a fun revenge movie, right? Where a former slave goes slaying a whole bunch of you know racist slave slave owners. That's what he's asking you to accept through the film, and it's freaking amazing and also a gorgeous film. So, yeah, I. I disagree with this take. I think uh, this person has a very narrow view coming to films and probably should, you know, open up a little bit to the films and ask yourself, what are they trying to do? Uh, We have a question, Irving, in the chat uh, from Stephanie Costello, uh, referring to the previous take about uh, spoilers. And she wants to know about uh, movies, particularly, you know, uh, that are kind of like a common commonly commonly redone story and whether that uh you know knowing i I guess knowing you know what's going to happen does that spoil spoil your enjoyment of of that sort of film she gives the example of little women and the multiple versions of little women including the one i referenced earlier yeah it's a very good uh that's a very good question i like that question um i think i think the difference though is when you're remaking a classic you tend to, to well, it depends on the cultural atmosphere, right? It depends on whether that classic has gone out of favor in terms of the public consciousness. It dep- depends on whether that classic is like a basically a household story like Batman, right? Or something like that. And the difference I would say is that usually when you're remaking a classic, you have that in mind, that cultural atmosphere that you're in in mind. And so you usually come at it from that direction. So if I'm making... If I'm remaking, if I'm making another Batman film, I know very likely everyone's going to know the backstory of Batman, right? (laughs) And everyone's going to come to that, come to the movie with that in mind. So I'm going to write it that way and I'm going to make it that way um, with that in mind, right? I'm, I'm making this film for my particular cultural context. I think that filmmakers tend to have that in mind and you can actually feel it a lot of times too when they're relying on your back knowledge of something. What's a good example of this? Um, Joker. Joker is a good example of this. Joker is is assuming you know everything about the bat, or sorry, you know everything about the mystique of the character Joker, and it doesn't tell. It's called Joker, but there's no reference to the comics whatsoever in the in, throughout the entire film. Right? It's expecting you to apply your understanding of the Batman universe to what's happening in front of you to create that sort of interesting thing. I think you, if you watch that movie without knowing anything about the Joker character in general or about Batman uh, or about the themes that it's exploring that have been you know, traditionally explored in the comics, then you'll be very confused <laughs> about what's going on in there. So I don't think it's much of a spoiler as it is just the context that you're in and then filmmakers will uh, adjust to that. And you know, obviously it's not your fault if you know the, the, the cultural story or anything like that. And, uh, you know, I think it would be more of a spoiler if you then took your, took that and then you went, read the synopsis for that particular rendition of it. Right. Um, that filmmaker may want to flip something or do something interesting, subvert something. But so. in, in that case though, would it maybe that, and that's, that's a case where knowing something would make the, the film better, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you could put it that way. I guess when I think of spoilers, I think of it more as particular to the the instance, right? Um, and I think about it more in terms of what the filmmaker expects you to not know going in, right? 
Um, if it's like assumptions about particular things, then yeah, I would agree that's not a spoiler. <laughs> you know, a filmmaker is literally assuming that you'll know that uh, going in. Uh, oh, another good example is Tarantino film, uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know that much about that. I actually know a lot more for completely unrelated reasons about that era of Hollywood uh, than I did when I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So when I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that film went right over my head, like practically in almost like every way possible. And the reason why is because I'm he wrote it for people who are going to who are who love that era and know a lot about that era. I consequently didn't really like the film that much. And I think the assumption was a little bit strong um, that people would know that much about that era. But now looking back at it, now that I know a lot more about that era, I see what he was doing with the film. And I'm like, oh, I see. I, I get it now. Right. So in that sense, that that information should have would have been made the film better, um, knowing what the history was behind that film. Yeah. So that's those are my uh, my uh, reactions to your hot takes. I really love these this week. They were nice and spicy, I think. Um, <laughs> so uh, if you if you see this afterwards, if I happen to go back and respond to you with a, a link. None of what I said was supposed to be uh, mean or anything like that. It's I just feel strongly about film, um, and you can disagree with me. I would love to hear your hot takes in the comments or wherever you want to send them. I'm pretty much guaranteed to respond to them next time if you send them in because I love creating that kind of dialogue. I don't want to cause no problems. I just want to live my life, but I keep on hearing about nonsense. Me and my dons ain't mobsters, but you know when you see imposters, we know how to read them faces, same way you know how to read them comments. If you want to talk, let's talk, but around here, make sure you walk and your talk is constant.